All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us, uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity. Over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Jared Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right. Welcome back for another episode. Today we have the privilege of interviewing author M.G. Heron, otherwise known as Matt. We will call him Matt from now on. Is that okay Yay. with you, Matt? Can yeah, we call you Matt, Matt? You oh, can, you can. Just you, though. Right, right, right. Everyone else oh. calls you M.G. <laughs> All right. So uh, today uh, we, we are interviewing uh, Matt Heron, who writes science fiction and fantasy stories for Adrenaline Junkies. His books explore new worlds, futuristic technologies, and ancient mysteries. In addition to indie publishing novels from his home base in Austin, Texas, Matt also works as a marketing strategist for tech startups. So it sounds like you and uh, Chris will have a lot of nerdly things to talk about when it comes to the tech oh, stuff. Perfect. Oh my gosh, I, 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 I can't even begin to, to imagine what he does. <laughs> <laughs> mostly nerded me. Mostly he plays on Facebook, I bet. Yeah, that's pretty much. That's like half my job. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Good to be here. Outstanding. Awesome. The, the second part of the introduction we do every week for our dear listeners is we mention how we found them. So for me, I actually found um Matt in one of the book lovers Facebook groups. It's like a uh, reading club, book club kind of thing. And we were talking about books that we love. In fact, let me make that as a show note. I'll find that link because I know which one it is. I just can't remember the name. Um, but I'll find that Facebook group. Um, book club is added to the notes. See, the first one of the day, breaking it in early. All right. but uh, <laughs> And so we were talking about books and I mentioned that, uh, you know, we were talking about movie series we'd love to see books written in and i mentioned stargate because i missed the series and he he kindly pointed out that his books were kind of stargate inspired and so he sent me a link and i bought all of them i haven't had time to read them because i promised other people i would do book reviews for them um so i wanted to put that as a priority but but i bought them all and they're at the top of the tbr list because right. you, can't, you can't go wrong with stargate that's right yeah i love stargate it's one of my favorite uh, franchises me too. What about you, Chris? Where did you uh, where you meet the one, the only, Matt? Well, uh, yeah, Matt and I were actually part of the science team that developed Elon Musk's uh, Heavy Falcon rocket. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really glad he was there to talk me off the ledge on that one. Uh, my idea yeah. may have been a little hasty. 
I was going to use a cybernetically enhanced biomechanical exoskeleton to draw a 3 million pound uh, rubber band to launch the Tesla into orbit. Uh, so luckily Matt is smarter than me and, and uh, decided that would be kind of a bad idea. Maybe a little bit dangerous yeah. even. You know, I had to help you out because Elon was sleeping in the factory again and he just gets really uh, frustrated and angry and he just didn't like your ideas. So I was trying to intervene. Right, right. So, well, it was either that or or I met him on Twitter and then started bugging him about his books and then stalking him like a fanboy or something. It was one of those two. I can't remember. <laughs> well, I remember meeting you guys through the um, Galaxy's Edge groups too. Oh, that's right. Uh, because I, I read Legionnaire early when it came out, um, and I found the Facebook group mm-hmm. that I think you started, right, JR? Yep, I did. Yeah, so that's fun. Awesome. Well, first question is the religion question. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Uh, this is really hard for me, but I'm going to have to go with uh, Star Wars, probably. Nice, okay. I yeah. thought for sure he was going to say, screw your religion, it's Stargate all the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do love the Stargate franchise, but I think as a kid, my first love of the three was Star Wars, and it's hard to compete with your first love. It, it is. really is. <sighs> I've enjoyed really Star is. Trek too, but not as much as Star Wars. And Stargate, of course. SG-1 <laughs> is very close to my heart. I agree. What do, what do it was nice. What do you think of nice. Stargate Universe? I really liked it, and I was really sad that they canceled it after Warzone. <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote uh, an article. So this was back when I first started freelance writing about the death of Stargate Universe. And my theory was it was that horrible Friday night time slot that ruined them. Yes. Because it's a yes. story. But they put it on Friday night when nobody's sitting down watching TV at like 8 or 9, 9 p.m. at night. I was like, that is the worst time slot Well, you know what? Show. You know what else they did is they didn't because this is when like DVR was relatively new where people could record the shows. And so those recordings were treated like somebody actually sitting and watching it as far as counting. But when you bump the show because of a football game or a political speech or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever nonsense, Mm -hmm. every time you bumped it, your DVR didn't bump with it. So you would get less of the show or even sometimes not the show at all. And so those would show as people not watching it, even though they wanted to watch it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it was so mad every time I'd look at my DVR and it would get something else because they moved the show. And Fox is horrible about that. They they never keep anything consistent when it comes to air times. Yes, yep. that's true. Yeah, Fox, Fox, Fox straighten up. That's right. They're, they are the kiss of death. That is where good shows go to die. Don't even get yeah. me started on Terra Nova. Oh, my God. <laughs> the dinosaurs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I remember seeing a couple episodes of that show. Stargate Universe was so interesting because, uh, like, unlike the other series where they were hopping to different worlds, which I think is interesting too, they were actually stuck in the ship, and so they had to do a whole bunch of like character development and human interaction in that one. They couldn't lean on the crutch of the Stargate. Yeah, right, right. They had to keep developing it. So, mm-hmm. Matt, what do you love about science fiction? What do I love about science fiction? I think the thing for me that always brings me back to it is the possibility that it could be real, you know, like finding some um, interesting scientific angle that is possible and then projecting it into an imagined future. That's really the thing that keeps bringing me back. Mm, I hope kaiju aren't real. (laughs) Me too. That would be (laughs) kind of scary. (laughs) What's your first memory of, of watching, reading or playing games in the genre? 
Hmm. Well, I've been a reader since I was really little. Um, so it's hard to say, like I read, you know, all the standard fantasy books, but the thing that brought me into sci-fi was probably Final Fantasy VII. Did you guys ever play Final Fantasy? Oh, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So number seven came out when I was like really into RPGs when I was a kid. And it's like this cyberpunk dystopian world with um, these like uh, materia as magic. And I just love that world, the whole Final Fantasy universe, but especially Final Fantasy seven, because it had that cyberpunk twist. And, you know, it was probably about the same time that um, the cyberpunk authors were, were getting big too. And that was a little bit beyond my reading level at that point, but I love that video game, and that just pulled me in. Okay. Wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about that video game for a long time. What are they up to now, like 30 of them? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> They're much more realistic now, and uh, but there's just something about that storyline of Final Fantasy VII that's just incredible. Yeah, that that one in Metroid. They just, oh, I love Metroid, too. They just kept I, going, I, going. I played the hell out of Metroid Prime. Did you ever beat it? Yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I never did. <laughs> I gave up a long game. time ago. It's a good game. I love the 2D, like, back and forth where your, like, ship is stuck in the middle. So, you know, between those two games, I think that's probably, like, my my intro to sci-fi. <laughs> nice. So, so how'd really? you go from being a sci-fi fan to writing in it? Oh, that was a, a more circuitous journey, I suppose. <laughs> um, so... I've always written, but I didn't really take writing seriously, especially fiction, until about five or six years ago. And the first thing I wrote happened to be sci-fi. Um, I've always been a big fantasy reader, but um, when I sat down to write, the thing that came out was science fiction. So I didn't really get to, to choose that consciously. It just happened. Oh. Are you a panther or an outliner? Mm. I mean, I've done a little bit of both. I, I think I'm kind of, I always think of pl plotting and pantsing as like a spectrum. And I'm kind of somewhere in the middle, maybe like 60% plotting, 40% pantsing. So what I do when I start a book is I'll come up with the idea and plot it out as best as I can. And what happens is I usually get about 70% and the ending is like, good guys win, bad guys die. <laughs> right? Like that's as, that's as specific <laughs> as I get. And I write as far as I know, and then I figure out the rest as I go. But I like it to be at least if I don't have like a, a very specific plot, I just want to have a map so I know where I'm going. Sure. Waypoints. Yeah, exactly. Waypoints. So, you know, I use basic knowledge of story structure. I use like a 4X structure and I kind of plot it out as far as I can. And then I just kind of trust my intuition and go with it. So how long ago did your writing start? Um, so I moved back to Austin in 2012 to start freelancing. Uh, I was living in Europe at the time in Germany, waiting tables and traveling. And so I decided to take writing seriously. So I came back to Austin to do that. I started free freelance writing here and at the same time started, um, you know, I had, I had started writing short stories uh, in college and a little bit in high school too. But in 2012, I was like, I had a couple things that just weren't finished. So I was like, I'm going to finish one of these for sure. That was my goal. I just had to finish something. So that was probably around that time where I started pu publishing science fiction too. I think my first short story was 2014 or something like that when I published it. Nice. Okay. Hmm. So who's been the largest influence on in your writing? I mean, that's hard to say. You know, I I want to say it's like the authors I read as a kid because I was just such a voracious reader. But um, there are definitely some teachers along the way who have encouraged me. Um, 
one of my my parents' friends was an author when I was a kid, and I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. She she'd written some some journalism and some uh, I think children's books. Um, so I just was like starstruck. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> uh, and then there were a couple of teachers that encouraged me. So a lot of people along the way. Um, but it, you know, as far as uh, indie publishing, it was probably like the 2011 2012 crowd where I realized that this was real. You know that you could actually do it, right. um, and I set up an indie author group shortly after I came back to Austin and started writing. Um, I met Michael Bunker and some other really awesome indie authors in town, and then it got really real for me. I was like, "These aren't these aren't just like you know celebrity authors; these are real people." Right. And, and, and just so, so you know, Jr. has to has to add to the show notes every time you mention someone. So mention as many as you can. <laughs> I mean, I love these guys. Um, Michael Bunker is awesome. He lives in Central Texas, a couple hours from where I live in Austin. Um, he's a really interesting guy. He lives on a, he lives off grid on a farm nice. in Central Texas. So he's a very interesting person to talk to. Um, so he's great. Um, my friend Steve Statham also lives in Austin. He writes science fiction, uh, kind of space opera-y like I do. He's a great guy too. So there's two more for your list, just in case you didn't have enough work to do. <laughs> Outstanding. That's okay. <laughs> I'll get them back and I'll find the author to interview with has like the worst Wi-Fi connection. So the audio will be like the worst. And I'll be like, yeah, take that. Spend a decade editing that nonsense. Because <laughs> he does all the audio editing. So the um, I know you're newly married, Matt. So I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. When someone asks who's the largest influence on your writing, you're supposed to say something loving like, oh, my wife, she inspires me. <laughs> she tolerates me. all right so one of the things i thought would be an interesting little bit of trivia is that um chris and i are co-writing a universe together which we'll get into more when it's uh more ready but one of the things when we were world building is we had to come up with who invented the ftl and uh and so we actually used you matt um matthew heron dr phd invented ftl in our universe Nice. That's awesome. See, I'm I'm smarter in in fiction than I am in real life. Too. <laughs> and so we've got we've got a uh, uh, I don't know what you want. Forty thousand. Technically, it's a novel, but most people would ca- probably call it a novella. But uh, we've got a story called the Mad Hatter coming out in the not too distant future that tells the creation of the FTL by Doctor nice. Doctor Heron. But you get the girl in the end, I'm sure. So good. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it couldn't possibly go horribly wrong, could it, Chris? <laughs> couldn't possibly that that maybe somebody tries to do something bad to their ship. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Immortalizing fiction. My dream has come true. I mean, my goal is just to be killed more times than um, Joe Buckley, but so far he's winning. <laughs> but I will catch I've seen up. your name in a few books too, JR. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've been pushing. Like, if you want someone to kill, kill me. Kill me. I'm not sure he's winning anymore. Um, I actually plan on making a poster with a little cartoon uh, caricatures of every single way that you've been killed off in books. And people are people are sending him in. So I, I need to get busy on that. <laughs> but but doesn't it, it doesn't count if they haven't actually published a book yet? Right, right. So I'm, I'm gonna list I'm gonna list the books that each of them are from. Outstanding. <laughs> I think the last one I saw your name in, JR, was uh, uh, was it Terra Nova? 
Not the TV show. Terra Nova by um, Richard Fox and oh, yes, you gave me show Hayes. notes and Josh Hayes. <laughs> Janet. Your name was in it. I don't know what's going to happen because I, I haven't finished it yet. I didn't know I made it. Definitely. I didn't know I made the cut in their book. <laughs> well, if the whole thing is JR gets put in books to get killed, I need to go finish it now. Yep. <laughs> I need to know what happens. How does he die? Where you- uh, but that's cool. And for the record, guys, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're co-writing something. I think it's a great idea. Uh, and 40,000 words and above is technically a novel. So. I know, but most people won't consider it as such. Um, you know, the um, the awards, like the Hugo mm-hmm. Nebula Awards, their, their guidelines are 40,000 and above is a novel. So it, you could qualify for a novel award, I think. I yeah, think I think you can. Right. Sure. Uh, I, I, I have no expectations of re- winning awards. My If people read the books, buy the books, and you know we can buy a couple cups of coffee off of it, that's, that's winning. That's hmm. it. Yep. That's the life. So, I mean, Chris has got expensive taste, but not me. Right. You know, <laughs> buy, buy a couple cups of coffee on my yacht. <laughs> See, he's, he's got big plans for that yacht <laughs> so transitioning away from from your writing style because we try to keep this podcast focused you know more towards the the readers of the books rather than just you know another author podcast and those are fun i listen to those too but you know there are plenty of those out there so uh, transitioning from the writing side let's talk about things from the fan angle what is the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with the fans since you started writing you know the weird interactions always come when you do like conferences or um, book signings and stuff it's just you know awkward people <laughs> i don't think i have any like, specific stories in mind but it's always fun to meet people and uh, sometimes it can get a bit awkward look i'm sorry it won't happen again <laughs> you said you wouldn't talk about this anymore <laughs> they're fun though i do love doing the events okay um let's see um, so you don't have anything specific? No, I mean nothing really comes to mind. Uh, I'm not I'm not big enough to have like crazy super fans yet. <laughs> okay, maybe one day I'll have a super fan stalker. You know, I can look forward to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. so uh, what about what about your uh, your work through the um, the indie author group that you started in in Texas? Um, any interactions that were funny with with wannabe writers that aren't quite there yet starting out? I mean, those are always interesting, um, the, the preconceived notions that people come to, to, to the meetings with. You know, the, the reason I started the Indie Author Group was just to learn. It was like, my, it was my version of a masterclass. I'm like, if I can get a whole bunch of people to present on indie publishing and the different aspects of it, maybe I'll learn how to do this thing. Um, and so now it's a thousand people. Wow. It's on Meetup. If you search Indie Author Society, the group in Austin alone is a thousand people. Wow. Um, and we put a whole bunch of videos of our talks online. Um, so if, if you're interested and you're an author and you happen to be listening to it, uh, if you go to IndieAuthorSociety.com, you'll find a bunch of free videos that are just up there for people to learn. And, you know, I just kind of did it as a, a thing to, to help others and to learn myself. And so um, they're just free. And uh, we have a couple volunteers running the group still. So I don't go to every meeting now, but I, I go a few times a year. Uh, so it's always fun. Um, as for awkward interactions, I, I think my, my favorite thing is the – um, people who come to the meetings expecting that they're going to publish a book and be famous. <laughs> and I always have to let them down. I'm like, well, it doesn't work like yeah, that. Yeah, or the people who who ask how to get their book that, that has been on Amazon for years and years and years into a movie. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, they'll yeah. approach you as soon as they're ready and they get so deflated. It's so sad. 
Yeah. Yeah. We've had a couple talks on like, you know, selling uh, movie rights and, and stuff like that. And, it, you know, the thing is like, um, I know a couple of people have had their books optioned and the stories are always the same. It's like, well, it was, it was completely random or it was dumb luck or uh, it, my book just happened to fall into the hands of the right person at the right time. And they reached out to me. Like there's no repeatable mm -hmm. system. It's not like indie publishing where you're like, okay, you, you write a book, you get it edited, you put a good cover on it. And then you can like go through the process. When you go to sell like a film option, there's no process. Like, do you know people in Hollywood? Okay. Well, you better start <laughs> <right>. networking. <laughs> Even even the Netflix movie space, so you just have to know the right producers. So, um, but there are a lot of books now getting made into smaller movies. You know, not like big budget Hollywood stuff, but there's a lot of cool stuff coming out on Netflix. And um, you know, Netflix has done a whole bunch of great sci-fi content right, uh, lately. Well, the indie romance community has it big because the Hallmark Channel uh, pub published mm -hmm. at the end of 2017. They're like, indie authors, send us your romance novels. We're looking for more movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Sorry, I seem to have redirected us into uh, uh, writing again. But let's go back to <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So let's let's start talking now about Matt's book. So he's written many series. Um, so we'll just list them out. He's written the Translocator series, The Republic, which is a standalone novel, several anthologies, including At the Helm Three, a sci-fi bridge anthology, uh, In Your Closet and In Your Head, a monster anthology, and Boys and Their Monsters, a post-apocalyptic stories. He's written a nonfiction, Scrivener Superpowers, How to Use Cutting-Edge Software to Energize Your Creative Writing Practices. I bet Josh Hayes put you up to that, didn't he? Him and his evil Scrivener. <laughs> no. He did not, but I love Scrivener. Him and I go back and forth. I'm all about a. I'm a purist. See, it, it's Word and Times New Roman twelve. <laughs> That's the way it was meant I to be. I appreciate that. But uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, look. And he's yeah. Anyway, I mean, like as long as you get the words down, who cares? Right? right. And he's written more short stories than I can count. And I thought about listing them, but I don't think you want to listen to a half hour of me reading out story titles. <laughs> so uh, you can you can check out his uh, Amazon page where he has some of them. Uh, probably most of them listed for sale. And I believe some of them are in KU, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. All my uh, novels are in KU and a bunch of short stories too. So that's Kindle Unlimited where it's a subscription base. Oh, more show notes. It's a subscription based program. And if, if you're a member, I think it's like 12 bucks a month or something and you can read unlimited and right. So, so if you read fast, it, it is a bargain. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they stop screwing with authors long enough that it lasts because the readers love mm -hmm. it. But um, anyway, let's see. While those are all amazing books, today we are going to focus – focus. Wow, speak much? <laughs> today we're going to focus on your Translocator trilogy because that's where Chris wanted to start. Um, I love that the series has a Stargate vibe because I loved that TV series, all of them, all of them. Um, how did you come up with an idea or premise for, for this series? I know the answer cause we've talked about this, but I want, I want you to get a chance to tell the, the listener where the idea for this story came from. Yeah, absolutely. So back in, um, 2014, I think it was, I went to the Mayan Riviera in Mexico for a vacation and we got on a bus and drove inland three hours to see the pyramid at Chichen Itza. And after we saw that, I mean, it just blew my mind. I've always loved um, looking at ancient cultures and, and visiting ruins and um, trying to figure out what they were all about. But after we left uh, Chichen Itza, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I kept having this vision of this woman waking up on a beach where the sky was a different color. And so I combined those two things, the Mayan pyramid at Chichen Itza with 
um, the what I mm. call a translocator. So I'm not even going to try to spell that that Mayan pyramid name, but I do know that Matt has written a blog about that vacation and the adventure and how that inspired everything. So I will get that from him and we will throw that in the show notes. It's worth reading and he's got a bunch of cool pictures from that trip. So if you're into like travel vlogs or that kind of thing, I mean, that'd be fun just to read just because. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll list that in the show notes. It's a pretty interesting article about where the idea came from and the trip and and all of that. So, but um, we are at a Nope, not the half hour mark yet. Okay, so we get to keep talking. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Um, all right, so you've described this series to to both of us as Stargate SG One done right. So, did you mean that specific show or the franchise in general? Um, so, Stargate SG One is a really good parallel. Like Stargate Universe wouldn't be as good of a parallel because they're stuck on a spaceship in that one. But in the Translocator books. Um, they basically they start on Earth and they go to another planet where there's an ancient culture, and that's why it's a really good analog. Not only is there like this machine that transports them places, um, what I call the translocator, but uh, they also have like the interactions with the ancient cultures, a different language, uh, different customs, and and that's why um, I compare it to Stargate because that that's what Stargate SG One was all about. You know, exploring new worlds, meeting new cultures, and and exploring the mysteries of, that those cultures have with them and you know in the sg1 like they always have something weird that's a little strange or a little off i like playing with that stuff um so the um the culture in the Auriga project which is the first translocator book is based on the ancient mayans again you know chichen itza that that was interesting i have a question about one of those characters absolutely um amon 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 yes Amen. Were you inspired by Elon Musk? Because he kind of seems like a an eccentric genius. Yeah, I think a little bit I was. I didn't. It wasn't conscious at the time, but um, in hindsight, I could definitely see it. Um, I mean, his name is Amon Fisk and Elon Musk. You know, it kind of sounds the same. Even <laughs> it just has like a nice <laughs> ring to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely inspired by him. Elon Musk inspires me every day with the stuff that he's doing uh, with Tesla and SpaceX and. <clears throat> the Hyperloop stuff that he's doing, I just think it's all um, incredible. So my character is a little bit based on that. He's a, an eccentric billionaire that created this translocator thing, uh, and uh, he loses his wife in it, and everything goes wrong. So I think that's kind of where it diverges from Elon's life. <laughs> well, I, I think if anyone's going to actually turn your science fiction into science fact, it's going to be Elon. <laughs> yeah, slow down, Elon. <laughs> Don't ruin it for me. Right. <laughs> Let the book live a little before you prove it wrong. <laughs> All right. So I looked at the questions we've got coming up, and those are going to get deep into his series. So I think this would be a good place to, uh, to stick a pin in it and have a pause for a word from our sponsor. When a strange symbol is found at a burned-down historical site, Houston Arson investigator Emmy Anenzo goes to work. As mysterious and inexplicably hot fires break out across the drought-ravaged city, she finds herself digging through the ashes of history. It's a race against time to track down the serial arsonist and explain the seemingly impossible heat of the fires. As strange evidence begins to pile up, Amy wonders if the arsonist is insane, or even worse, possessed. Can Amy and her colleagues find and stop him before the entire city burns? Parsec award-winning author Paul E. Cooley wraps ancient mythology around an eerie contemporary tale that will leave you burning for more. Garrison Inferno, 
a free podcast novel available from shadowpublications.com and iTunes. Some mysteries shouldn't be solved. All right. Welcome back. And thank you for being patient as we try to try to fit this in. We, we try to insert the commercials in as unobtrusive a spot in the interview as possible. So we don't don't mess with the flow of their questions. And, and we're about to get to the good stuff. So. All right. So you have the Translocator trilogy. It's clearly a series because, you know, that's what trilogy means. <laughs> um you mean three of them. See, I can count. One, two, three. Woo-hoo. They're going to kick me out of the infantry for that. But uh, so what's next for these characters? Well, so the next book, the third and final installment of the trilogy story comes out on June 1st. So that'll kind of wrap up um, this arc of the story. Uh, I do have some other ideas in mind. So we may continue the series, but I haven't put pen to paper on it yet. So I'm just excited to have the third book come out and to, you know, finally have the full trilogy up there. Okay. So do you plan on potentially telling more stories from the same team branching off, you know, a la Stargate Atlantis? Oh, I did it to myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely do. You know, I, I really like the characters and I think that there's an opportunity to do a more Stargate SG one thing where they go explore different worlds. Um, in this trilogy that I wrote, it's, it's like three parts it's a three-part story exploring one world and what they find there, like the mystery that they discover there, the ancient alien that they discover there, um, and the the protagonist and, and the main conflict is is kind of all wrapped up in one story that spreads across three books. That's why it's a trilogy. But um, I'm curious about what happens next, so I need to sit down and, and find out. Okay. So we actually were talking – um, off the record before we started jokingly that if we had a drinking game where someone had to do a shot yeah you logan scott we're, we're, we're talking to you <laughs> if someone did a shot every time we said show Uh-oh. notes they would probably be blitzed before the commercial <laughs> i think uh, jr tripped into the translocator That's but what but right we here. just do that so you know that if we cite an article we're not just blowing smoke you can see what we saw uh you can see where our ideas came from for that and so you know, even if even if we got the answer wrong, you can see mm-hmm. where the facts, the, the book we started from is. Um, and then when we mentioned uh, authors and books, you know, we like to to get their name out there and let people read them. So we throw those in the show notes. So so please don't actually, you know, drink no. and, uh, you know, read because you might leave bad reviews. Don't, don't actually play this. Drink leave the reviews because sober. you will die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. Well, we're, we're sorry if this sounds a little bit disjointed. Um, so what had happened? This is it has never happened before, but we've gotten JR on broke it. Now, just just let's let's tell them the truth, people. So we've gotten on the radar of some big some big listeners. Obviously, Elon Musk is a fan, but you know he's having this little trade war deal going on with Virgin Galactic. Virgin <laughs> Galactic is not happy that we're fanboys. They've constantly <laughs> hacked our website. It has just been brutal. Chris has been up all night waging this tech war against them he's even enlisted the chinese to help him we finally we finally brought down virgin galactic but i don't know how long it's going to last and there was talk that maybe they're going to send skynet live to shut us down in case you can't be honest listing, the disclaimer is that this is all fiction <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work for hg wells either when he said oh i was just making it up just mess with you guys just mess with it <laughs> but uh okay so you just got done telling us that your book the, the third book in your trilogy is coming out on june 1st and that you weren't quite sure what you were going to do with it from there because you haven't plotted it out so what's your thinking are you going to write more um novels in this series so sort of episodic releases book four, book five or branch mm-hmm. off more side series 
Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do some side stories, but I think the main thing is continuing with the, the two main characters, uh, Eamon and Eliana, beyond book three. But I, that's probably the same series. I just don't know yet. But since book one, two, and three all happen in one location, yeah, the other trilogy, they happen somewhere else or just branching mm-hmm. off to an open-ended series, that would work. Yeah, so what I what I really love is the again going back to Stargate, the SG one model where they explore a new world for every show. I would like to do something interesting like that, where um, they explore a different world with each book, a different culture, a different world. So you know, like we've spent three book three books exploring the uh, ancient Mayans, right? So like, what other ancient cultures can we explore? What other um, mysteries can we experience in this galaxy and now that they have access to the to the galaxy i mean it's a it's a whole different ball game outstanding all right so i've skimmed the reviews and as i've mentioned in previous episodes that sort of helps me determine um what books i buy so that's this is our uh, psa please be kind and speak your mind on the review <laughs> function um yes i know yeah. i'm showing my age i don't know if you guys remember going into blockbuster as a kid and renting like oh, yeah. hs and they would oh, have yeah. that sign please be kind rewind <laughs> yes that was sort of my inspiration nice. but, so uh, um skimming your reviews i didn't actually see any um that many one star reviews so good job on uh I'm scaring away the one stars, but um, yeah, I don't know how I did it. Uh, there's, I think there's one one star, and it's like great book, one star. Yes, yes, I saw that. <laughs> I don't think they understand what the stars mean. I think he was saying, <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> one of the um, common themes was that you seem to have blended real science with humor. So, how do you plan on keeping that sort of formula going since it's what worked for you? Yeah, I think it, it has to do with the way that the relationships between the characters are set up. So the comic relief in um, the first couple books, a lot of it comes from Ruben, who is um, Eamon's assistant on the translocator. And he's like, oh, you know, Eamon's doing shenanigans again. And he just like gives him a hard time and says, well, that's not safe. You know, so it's like a lot of the, the character interactions. That's where the humor comes from. Um, I think that's that's really it, you know, and just like they're really like people I know and and my own sense of humor like blended in there. So I like to think that I have a pretty good sense of humor and it comes through in the books. Okay. Oh, that was going to be another question. Do you, do you draw from people you know to make characters in your books? Yeah, I do. So, for instance, Ruben, again, he's um, he's Jewish and he uses like Yiddish slang words. And my, my mom's side of the family is Jewish and they use Yiddish slang words all the time. And so I, I've chosen my favorite ones and peppered them in there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. So uh, with those continuation of these universes and these characters, what, um, what other forms of media would you like to see? Obviously, it's a new enough series that you know nobody's beating down your door yet for movies or video games or RPGs. But dream big. What would you love to see first? If you got to pick out of all the other forms of media that come out in your universe, what would your first uh, desire be? You know, I think it would make a good TV show. Um, and a, a, the trilogy would also make a good movie if you did like the whole thing together. Um, but really, I mean, I would love just to get them into audiobooks. <laughs> my my aspirations are humble enough. Right? I would just love to get them into audio. All right. So if Podium or Tantor are listening, give them a call. A whole trilogy. Do you guys want a whole trilogy? We'll make a deal. Come on. Come talk. So have you read um, – this is sort of 
branching out just a little bit, but have you read the Gateway to the Galaxy series by Jonathan Yanez and J.R. Castle? Because they sort of have that. No, that sounds cool. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting. I'm I'm starting to see more of the uh, Stargate love coming out, and I'm liking it. I, I can't blame them. I mean, it's it's a wonderful franchise, and you know they, they they've been so successful over such a long period of time for a reason. And they've been so mistreated by the directors. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. Yeah. Did you see that they've done a Stargate Origins? Yeah, but it, it contradicts because it has the um, the lady that found it, the older woman in the main series. She had never gone through, and that that was from the main mm-hmm. movie. And then she yeah. had never gone through. In fact, they had her fiance go through and get trapped, which became a thing in SG One. And suddenly right. now she went. Oh, and, oh well, the answer is oh, well, we just wiped your mind at the end. Like, that's like waking up and oh it was all a dream like really that's just cheap yeah that's fair that's fair uh, it's a little lie, bit i'll probably out. watch it but yeah i watched the first couple episodes they're short like web episodes but they're fun you know it's and i think that's the thing is they were like we're just gonna make something fun to relaunch you know access to all of the stargate franchise um and some people have been upset because it's a little bit off franchise I, i'm not so um I'm not such a stickler about like mm. staying on franchise or staying off franchise. I like the side stories, the little ver- different versions. Uh, you know, it's like the the Lost in Space series that just came back to Netflix. Yeah, like it's just a, a retelling of it. You know, I think that's great because they could use their own creativity. I just want to know how it ends with uh, Stargate Universe. I want to know what happens to the Destiny. Oh man, I, I'm so sad that they're never going to finish that series. <clears throat> they did write some. Um, some comics in uh, some graphic novels. Yeah. Um, Stargate graphic novels. I'll link all of it in the show notes. Cause I've read, I've read them. I'm waiting for the third one in the SGU sort of find out what happens, but it's just, uh, it just, it bugs me that they didn't, you know what I mean? Like that It had so much potential. It did. It really did. It was a great setup. I mean, just like being on an ancient ship that's kind of alive. It just leads to a lot of interesting, different conflicts. So well, I, I can tell you the question. You're is, interrupting is, is our go? Yeah, I know, but uh, but I but I have this sciencey question. I must ask. <laughs> Hit me. What is it? Okay. So I did a little bit of research on NASA, and so far there are 927 terrestrial planets discovered. Did you know that? 927. I did not right. know that. And that's just in the observable universe that that we can see uh-huh. within our own galaxy. What do you think? Yep. What do you personally think the chances are that there might be other human-like civilizations out there? So I think that the chances are really high. However, um, I was re- I was listening to an interview with Michio Kaku yesterday. You know? Who oh he yeah, is? yeah, yeah. We're trying to get him on the show. <laughs> He's awesome. So um, the, we are. So we that now we know that there are terrestrial planets out there. And we know that many of them are in the habitable zone of their solar system, what we call the Goldilocks zone. Mm -hmm. Um, And what Michio Kaku said is like 100% there are intelligent uh, civilizations out there. Um, There probably are. However, the odds of us actually encountering them, given that the universe is 16 billion years old and we don't know when their civilization started, the odds that we'll actually interact with them and encounter them is just so infinitesimally small. But there have to be other civilizations out there. If we, if we, if there are other worlds like this, and we were able to overcome, you know, the evolutionary constraints, there have to be other civilizations out there. However, because the universe is so large and so old, we don't know like where in 
in the the development of their civilization they are. So the odds that they're in the spacefaring age at the same time that we are are so small. Right. Or maybe they became more advanced than us and annihilated themselves with their own technology. So what? Yeah, or we, would we even recognize them as civilizations at this point? Like maybe they they're in a form that we wouldn't even recognize as an intelligent being or as a being at all. Maybe they've evolved past us, you know. So we wouldn't even know it when we when we stumbled upon them. So what you guys are describing, without naming it, is that what they call the Fermi paradox, which is was named after a, um, a physicist, Enrico Fermi, um, which is basically the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence and the high prob- probability of existence of, of terrestri- extraterrestrial life, um, mm-hmm. which, which I always found fascinating. Now, one answer to that is they've re- realized that as you send a radio signal into space, it actually degrades. And so the farther it gets from Earth, it actually eventually blends in. I think we've talked about this in one of our science episodes, but it basically starts to blend in with the background noise of space. And so it's possible that they're out there and we're all beaming signals back and forth, but none of them actually meet. So, Mm -hmm. so some little alien, right. So some little alien is sitting there wondering the same thing as, you know, to their little green mom, like, Oh, are there other aliens just like us? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. an interesting question. I mean, and we have more evidence now that there are habitable planets out there than we did when Fermi came up with the paradox, right? We do. And then the other part of that is we based all of our calculations on looking for Goldilocks planets for us. But one of the things uh-huh. we've learned is, one, the they found sulfur-based life forms in the uh, Yellowstone Flats. So, yep. so the idea that it has to be carbon-based is – I mean, it, that's not the only way we know now that life exists. And two, yeah. it's just the idea that just because there's life out there doesn't necessarily mean it's sentient. Mm-hmm. Although, can, can you imagine the philosophy departments at all, like Harvard and Yale and whatnot, having this discussion, <laughs> is this a space cow? Can we eat it or do we have to you know, embrace it as a fellow <laughs> living soul? It depends. Uh, I'm probably, I don't know, but you guys can taste it first. <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, there's a YouTube channel that I like to watch called Generation Tech where they break down a lot of like, sci-fi nerddom. And they, one of the things they sell is, uh, to fund their channel is it's a humanity first. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the idea is basically just kill all the aliens. Humanity first. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> Technically, it's it's what I guess xenophobia. I, I guess would be the word for it. It's hilarious, though. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Would we even recognize aliens if we encountered them? Um, Maybe we already have. Doo, doo, doo. All right. So one of the questions that got skipped in the confusion of um, of <clears throat> Virgin Galactic <clears throat> um, <laughs> kicking us off the interwebs was the. Um, we, we wanted to ask you, Chris was going to ask this question, but I'm stealing it from him because he got a little dis, disjointed is so in your series, you've written that there were, you know, humans on other planets or human likes. So is that something mm-hmm. that you think is possible that there could be, you know, something, you know, humanoid out there? Or do you think it's just story fodder as far as not just aliens, but like the type of aliens? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, I don't know. It's good story fodder. I can definitely tell you that. I have no idea if, if it's real or not, or if it's even close to real. But I think that if if there is intelligent life out there, they're going to have some things in common with the type of beings that evolved past their physical limits, right? Like humans have. Like they're going to have a, uh, if not an opposable thumb, then an opposable tentacle or something to use tools. They're going to have a large brain and they're going to have language. Mm-hmm. And 
It's the three things that separate humans from animals and have allowed us to evolve, even though like physically speaking, humans are like crappy animals. We have exposed skin that gets infected. We can't stay warm. Uh, we can only live in like certain temperature zones. We can't run that fast. We but have giant claws. We can't run that fast. <laughs> We're not that strong. Uh, we're not even that like mentally strong, <laughs> you know, so there are a lot of uh, things working against humans, but we've managed to evolve beyond the animal confines of this planet and like go to the moon and explore the solar system and that sort of stuff. Um, so my, my theory uh, is that if we do find other beings, they would be kind of like that, right? Like they would have evolved from uh, past their limitations to reach beyond their planet. They would have to. Like, you would have to evolve some special skill to get beyond, just like, beyond your atmosphere, right? Right. True. Hmm. So, hmm. so if they develop this uh, this technology, this translocator, this Stargate, this, you know, whatever you want to call device, would you step through it? Mm, not first. <laughs> I probably would. You know, I'm pretty adventurous, but I certainly wouldn't want to be the first one that goes through a molecular reassembly device. <laughs> so you'd push Chris in first, okay? I might. I might go first. Yeah, or like you know, an inanimate object. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I can't take it anymore. See, Chris works for a for a school system um, as a janitor. He tells you he works in IT, but we know he's the janitor. <laughs> and so he, he just hates humanity at this point because he deals with your kids. So he would probably like, it's going to kill me. Sure. Step in. Yeah. Like if, if an alien came to our world, then the first thing they encountered was the children. They'd be like, Peace <laughs> <on Saudi too." laughs> little germ factories. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, these things smell yeah. terrible. <laughs> Why do they keep these things? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out, and I got two of my own. Are they own. space cows? Are they delicious? <laughs> you know, that, that is something I haven't considered. I'll have to get back with you after uh, I call my good friend Hannibal Lecter up. <laughs> no, no, from the alien's point of view, not from mine. <laughs> <laughs> so so if, as long as we're getting aliens that are like space cows as opposed to like Predator, we're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But I love the idea of encountering life forms that are so different than us. You know, a lot of the aliens that I've put into other stories, not the translocator books, um, the they, the one ancient alien in the translocator book is kind of humanoid. But in other books, I like exploring the ideas of aliens taking on different forms. Like I don't, maybe they're made out of light or maybe they're made out of, you know, like a sulfur-based life form. That would be really interesting. Well, what would they look like? They come from something other than carbon. So do you do things with like a hive mind kind of thing, like a bees colony kind of thing, or was it all? I haven't yet, but I love the idea um, because it has a basis in reality, right? Like it has, we, we have animals on earth who function right. with a hive mind. So it's conceivable that we would find uh, an alien life form like that. What we don't have on earth is an alien made out of light particles. Out of light as far particles. as we know. Like that's weird, right? As far as we know, that's right. But there's no evidence right. for it on Earth. I mean, everybody knows the ancients ascended. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously. obviously. Right after they built the pyramids. <laughs> why, why else are there pyramids yeah. on every continent, JR? Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Did you have any more questions for him about the translocator series? I know you've actually started reading it, uh, Chris. No, I. This is your chance. Speak now or forever hold your peace. No, but I still haven't. 
still haven't finished reading yet, but but I am curious. What would you prefer, us finding aliens or aliens finding us? That is a really good question. I'm going to have to go with us finding aliens because I don't like being uh, surprised <laughs> by alien civilizations. It just doesn't seem like something you want to wake up to and be like, oh, hey, the aliens are here now. Uh, also, like any book that the aliens find us, it starts with the disaster, right? Like there's no imagined future where the aliens find us that there's not a disaster right. involved. Well, they already have. Don't you, so uh, don't you know them. Area 51? Hello? Oh, yeah. So yeah. Do, do you participate in SETI? Oh, no. So no. you've never heard of Boink? This is the... I haven't. What uh, is this? Berkeley Online... Ah, I forget what the rest of it stands for. Ger- Gerald... Have to look it up, haha! <laughs> but basically, it's this little program that you that you download on your computer, and it runs as a screensaver, and you can choose a bunch of different projects, such as protein folding and and you know searching for new medicines. But one of the things you can do is actually search for aliens, and so what they do is oh, is really? they they grab some data from the Arecibo Radio Observatory and load it on this gigantic server array, and then send it send it to Berkeley and Berkeley distributes it to other computers to do most of the processing. And then if, if anything interesting is found, it gets sent back to Berkeley so they can analyze just the interesting parts and leave everything else out. And the, the rumor is that if you're the one that finds an alien signal, you get to name the aliens. <laughs> what are you going to name them? I'm going to name them turd monsters. <laughs> so that Very when funny. they when they discover us and they discover what I named them, they annihilate us. <laughs> See, he's naming them after the kids he works with. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, it's so cool. You walk away from your computer and it it searches for aliens while you're while you're away while you're not using your computer, anyways. So one of the things we do before we transition to the genre writ large and then the uh, the science and all that is we like to give you, the, the author, a chance to, to tell us if there's anything else about your universe that you thought was cool that somehow we missed. This is your chance to nerd out over your creation. <laughs> hmm. Something else about the universe that we did not cover. So... One of the things that I've always been interested in is how how did, you know, if Stargate were real, how did the humans get elsewhere? And that's really the mystery that's kind of behind the Translocator series, is how did they get elsewhere and why are they there in the first place? Um, and, and also I've always been, so that's one thing. And the other thing is I've always been fascinated with pyramids. You know, we mentioned pyramids being on every continent. Why are there pyramids on every continent that are shaped basically the same? And that are built in almost the same way. So right. there's this theory that that you could have two people create the same thing at approximately the same time, but have no contact with each other, yep. because the the idea basically being that there are universal truths. So gravity is real. The sun rises and sets, and all of that. And so the fact that you could discover those um, definite truths at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it just makes sense, and so that's their theory on the py- pyramids. But I've also seen some of the funny if you if you dark if you delve deep into the interwebs, you can find all kinds of alien conspiracy theories. That yeah, are pretty yep, pretty interesting. Well, so the the, the theor- there's a couple theories about the pyramids that I found fascinating. So one of them is that they can um, they were like used to control gravitational force, and I find that there's not enough evidence for that to really satisfy my science fiction writer. 
brain, you know, but uh, the one that that does satisfy my science fiction writer brain is, uh, you said earlier that like the ancients have ascended to the stars, right? Well, we all know that the um, continents were once one continent, Pangea, and that all humans came from, there's now genetic evidence um, that all humans came from Africa. So what if there was an ancient civilization that built pyramids and then that knowledge was passed down through the thousands and thousands of generations that spread across the world as the continents separated. And so the reason that the same kind of pyramids are on every continent is because the ancient civilization that developed on Pangea created this concept and then they just took it with them when they emigrated. Hmm. Wow. There's There's another book. And so the other um, idea is when I mentioned the – there's a name for it, but basically where you could develop the same idea without contact at the same time Uh is you could, in theory, posit that another Earth-like planet could develop a human-like being that would live on it because you develop in response to – just like military technology, Uh it's a constant back and forth. So you know, a samurai against, I don't know – a feudal lord, it doesn't work because they have different technology with different skill set because they re- they evolved along the lines in response to what they faced. Mm-hmm. And so if the world was similar enough, you would, in theory, be able to see human-like or at least close enough mm-hmm. uh, species because they would be responding to the same, to the same um, stimulus in the form of – right, to the same pressures in the environment. Mm-hmm. And this is where we try to sound like we're smarter than we are, so don't <laughs> laugh at us, people. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting idea, uh, but you know, I always feel like it's kind of a roll of the dice that it happened to be humans that evolved from the apes and not some other kind of being. Like, wh- why didn't we evolve from marsupials? They oh, have right. hands, and feet, and uh, also like they can carry their young around much easier. So, <laughs> why not marsupials? <laughs> that would have been handy. <laughs> it's just like a, a evolutionary roll of the dice, right? Right. Neat. All right. Well, this is where we'll start transitioning to the more broader genre based because uh, his series is listed as First Contact and um, Galactic Exploration and all the all the space opera goodness. Um, that's not to say he doesn't have action and adventure. It's just that's how he classified it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So, Chris. Yes. Hit it. Hit what? Well, not Matt. <laughs> we don't want to hit our guest. This is where you're supposed to ask that question. I tried to set it up for you, transition and smooth and everything. It was supposed to be like butter. All right. Well, since you write in this genre of, of first contact, what what things do you see in this genre that you like? And what things do you see that you don't like that some authors are doing without naming any books that you don't like specifically? Or do, you, do we just not see a lot of these anymore? You know, I've been reading a lot more lately and – I love the stories. I mean, you you can't go wrong with a space exploration story or a first contact story if you do it right. And the thing that always bothers me about if if a book bothers me, it's not because, you know, um, it's not because it's unoriginal. It's not because, you know, oh, like we've seen giant bugs before. Let's not do them again. It's that the authors don't necessarily explore the depth of character and they just focus on like big alien bad guy. And like, that's enough for the story. You know, that's never enough for me in a story. Um, but it seems like the the books that I've read in the genre that I don't like are the ones that don't have a lot of character depth or conflict or um, they just think big bugs are enough. You know, mm. 
they try to do the Starship Troopers where it's just like, oh, big bugs, everybody's dying. And like, that's the whole story. And I can never get into it because I don't, I don't care about the characters enough. Uh, and I see that a lot in, in the first contact space because they're so fascinated with the aliens that they forget about the characters. Right. They, they, they get this whole picture in their mind of the story they want to tell, but the story is only the, mm-hmm. the critters. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, you know, the aliens have come to Earth. We have to go fight them. And the main character's like, I don't want to fight them. Okay, I'm going to fight them. And you're like, that's it? Ta-da. <laughs> Ta-da. That's, you just like, there's no like, no struggle, no conflict, no like resistance to the idea that you have to go into outer space and fight aliens. It's just like, okay, let's go. <laughs> Get on the ship, Johnny. Good luck. Okay. Rico was the man. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> all right. So... Following that, what do you think are the best types of space exploration vehicles in science fiction? Obviously, you'd give yourself top billing. So who would your second pick be? For, for a book, my favorite ones are usually the immediacy. Uh, like any vehicle that has an, an immediate aspect to it. Like I'm a big fan of you know uh, ship-based stories like Firefly where they're on the ship most of the time. Or, or Stargate Universe, which we've talked about. They're like stuck on the ship. Uh, so I love those kind of vehicles like the ancient spacecraft or generational space- spacecraft. I think those are really fascinating to me. Um, oh, the colony ships? Yeah, oh, like I love colony that. ships are such a cool way to set up a story. Um, and it's like a controlled environment. So I love that. Um, there are a lot of different ways that we could – imagine spacecraft that people haven't explored a lot um like i don't think people have really explored solar sails in detail Mm. or some of the different kinds of uh and you know a lot of the stuff in science fiction is kind of hand wavy you just like use some buzzwords to explain away your engine system and it's just you know you just go (laughs) they don't really think about it too much um but i really love the colony ship idea that's one thing that i've played a lot around with a lot but haven't really fully explored uh because it would have to be like a whole separate universe from the stuff that i've written now yeah, well, that's a ah, that's another good idea. I want to write one too. Mm-hmm. It's fun. So, what um, if you were naming a colony ship? If you were naming a colony ship, um, sorry, I had to take a cough drop up, man. My kids, the germ factories, <laughs> man, they're trying to murder me. But if you were naming a colony ship, what would you think of a of a cool name? I'm gonna put you on the spot because uh-huh. I, I love naming ships. Like that's the fun. Like, I could spend hours just coming up with spaceship names. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't really thought about what a good name for it would be. The Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> sure. Twin colony ships. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my, a lot of my names are taken from like uh, ancient Pantheon inspiration. So like, is there a, a, a Greek God for like good luck? <laughs> like the Hermes, that would be a fun one. That would be. Yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> so what about you, Chris? Name for colony ship? Yeah, why not? Hmm. Yeah, well, I think I would name it the Jerry Handley and then blow it up. Yeah, yeah. I think that. I don't work. know. Or just drive into a sun, or only part of it. Everybody gets sucked out of the other <laughs> half. Something like that. <laughs> Didn't they drive the colony ship and universe into a sun? Or am I imagining that? I don't know. I haven't read that far. I'm on book five, so I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I meant in Stargate Universe. I think they used. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant Galaxy's uh, Galaxy's Edge because you know they have the. Oh no, okay. no, I haven't. I haven't read that far either. I think I'm only a few books in. 
Um, but on Stargate, so they, they, I'm pretty sure they used, they, like, so this is like this ancient mothership that the aliens built. And they're like, how do we charge this thing? It's running out of energy. And basically, they just ended oh, up oh, trying oh. to get into a sun. And they were like, oh, they oh, it just they did that. in the they did that with the They did that with the Destiny. Uh, that's how it recharged it. it yeah, solar, yeah. It scooped up, yeah, on SGU. I love that idea because if you're if you're traveling through the solar system and it's a one way ticket, you have like fusion reactors just like dotting the way. You know, it's like a it's like you're driving a, driving a Tesla across the U.S. Except it's much bigger. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Elon Musk didn't come with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Elon Musk but the is Star like, Man well, will set up the the charging stations. They're called stars. So, if I was going to name it, I don't know. I would probably go with. Uh, I was going to say something witty, and I just forgot. Ta-da. <laughs> so this is where we will we'll pause it, we'll insert something witty, and we'll start again like I said something hilarious. <laughs> so I did like Destiny. That was a good name for a, for a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, or we could do, we could do the, the Santa Maria. Although that might, be too, that might be too Anglo-centric. <laughs> <laughs> also, you're going to kill everybody when you arrive, huh? Well, you know, <laughs> I can't. Those diseases aren't going to spread Ouch. themselves. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> all right well so uh, enough about your books matt shameless plugging is over what are you reading in this genre <laughs> what am i reading well um terra nova by richard fox reading that one mm-hmm. right now um i also just did a reread of ursula k Le Guin's the word for world is forest it's her award-winning novella from Oh, I don't remember the sixties or seventies um, that supposedly some people say uh, George Lucas stole the idea from the Ewoks from her. Oh, that's a great book. The word for world is forest. Um, and what else did I read recently? I read some galaxy's edge books. Those ones were good. Um, Nettie Okorafor's Binti was really fun. I like the first one a lot. There are these uh, also award-winning novellas. But they're short. They're like 30,000 words. Um, oh, okay. I'll give you one more. I've really been into uh, this sci-fi mystery subgenre where it's like a, a, there's a detective um, of some kind or, you know, like a private eye. It's, it's a little different between each different story. Um, but John Scalzi has one called The Dispatcher. That's like a sci-fi mystery novella. And Brandon Sanderson, the epic fantasy writer, also has a sci-fi mystery novella called Snapshot. That one is awesome. So it's basically sci-fi mystery. And the conceit in Snapshot is that they can recreate a day in this city. And they can enter the city in that day to investigate the crime that happened. Oh, that that. <laughs> that's clever. Super cool. So it's, it's all like, like modern day, except for this one twist. So it's like okay. a detective noir, except with a one sci-fi twist. So like you can enter a day in the city and re-experience it and investigate what happened. Uh, and John Scalzi's Dispatcher, the twist is that murdered people come back to life. So anytime somebody dies, they appear naked as the day they were born in their bed at home. Wow. And so that's a really interesting one too. But it's the same thing. It's like this, I love this subgenre of science fiction. It's the detective noir with like one sci-fi twist that just makes it really interesting. So that's kind of the stuff I've been reading lately. Didn't The Expanse do something like that in the beginning? They may have, yeah. And you know, the other one that's kind of done it like sci-fi noir with a sci-fi, or sorry, uh, like noir detective with a sci-fi twist is Altered Carbon, which was made into a, a Netflix series. Right. And that's that one they have like, uh, they've, 
elongated human life so that they could jump between bodies. And the thing that's like the sci-fi twist is like, it's, you know, it's in the future, like Blade Runner's in the future in a futuristic city. But the twist is that the um, people in this universe can download their consciousness into other bodies. And so when they're tired of this body, they just grow a new one or hop into that person's body. They just have like a, a room full of bodies that they can jump around in. It's Ooh, really I weird. see all kinds of things going wrong. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a, a book series that they made into a Netflix TV show. That was pretty good. Gratuitously violent at times, but it was cool. very entertaining. All right. Shunch. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. My son walked in. He, his patience is, is at a, well, you know, nine-year-olds in Hungary don't go well together, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, give me, sorry. Well, you got to go feed them before they, they eat you. So. Well, my wife is downstairs to feed him. He just he, he likes talking to Chris because they, they have this banter going back and forth. So he was looking for an excuse. <laughs> so, so Chris tells him he sounds like an old man. I'm not old. <laughs> Sorry about that, people. Sorry about that. But uh, it'd be too much of a pain in the butt to try to edit that out. So we're just going to rock and roll with it. That's what happens when you have Let's kids, people. All right. So those are all a lot of uh, interesting books. So I've read. Uh, or I own Terra Nova. I've got to read it now that I might have died in it. Um, <laughs> the word, the word for world uh, is forest. I've heard about it, but I haven't read it. I'll have to see if I can Incredible. track down where to where to even buy that. Um, and I, I, I'm definitely intrigued that uh, Sanderson actually wrote sci-fi. I didn't think he had it in him. Yeah, you know what's cool about that is that I think he was like, I need a palate cleanser between 500,000 word fantasy books. <laughs> he just sat down in a weekend and wrote a sci-fi novella, and then he indie published it, which I think I thought hmm. was really cool. That is cool. So most people, you know, they write as many words as he does, and it's like a trilogy or you know, right. several book series. He's like, mm, I'll call this book yeah. one. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. Him and Patrick Rothfuss have a, a book length problem. Yeah. <laughs> so like, but, you need to sit them down and be like, "This is this is the um, the therapy group for people who write too long." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I actually would have that problem if I didn't restrain myself, but I also know you've got to write to market as far as what the genre expects and, and nobody wants like a million word military sci-fi. I mean, I guess they do. They, they call it the honor Harrington series and there's like 13 books, (laughs) but, um, anyway, (laughs) right. Right. So, uh, we'll, we'll transition now into the science part of the sci-fi genre that we love. So are there any rank threes that you're excited about? Any what? Any uh, scientific developments you're excited about? Mm. So the, there's a couple things. One, they did this uh, incredible genetic study of uh, indigenous Australians, and they've kind of traced back the genes to like where they branched off of the family tree in Africa. That was incredible. Um, these genetic studies are going to reveal a whole lot about human history that we did not know. So that's really interesting to me. Cool. Okay. What uh, else? And the, the other one that has caught my attention, and this kind of relates to the Translocator series, um, because I'm fascinated by ancient cultures and how we keep learning more about them. Uh, like when we rediscovered the Mayan ruins um, only a couple hundred years ago, every year since then, we've learned so much more about them and our perspective on them has changed. And, and also, like, I think that the more we learn about them, the more we learn how incredible they were. Uh, how intelligent and how um, evolved their civilization was. So recently they've developed a new technique to map the forests in Guatemala. And they've realized that basically this valley in Guatemala that's now covered in forest used to be covered in roads and stone cities. They basically 
turned the entire valley in Guatemala into a giant farm by damming it at both ends and wow. irrigating it. Interesting. So they've uh, there's this TV series uh, now. I forget what it's called. I can send you a link for the show notes, but um, you can watch this this TV show where they do this new mapping technique. So these guys are like stomping through the jungle and they're going to visit these ruins. And the the locals there, they have a local with them, a guy who's been exploring the ruins all his life. And after they mapped this, he was like, "Oh my god, I didn't even know those were there." And this guy's been exploring this jungle wow. for twenty years, right? And uh, so they did this map, and it looks like when you do this mapping technique that the, the Mayan civilization just spread from coast to coast in Guatemala. It was insane. Uh, and it's so much bigger than any archaeologist ever predicted. So that sort of stuff is amazing to me because we're, like, finding new civilizations on our world that have always been there or were there and are now gone that we didn't even know about. That's, that's incredible. So my uncle is actually from Guatemala. So I keep bugging him to take me so we could go tour the, uh, for research. Uh, he, Absolutely. he told me he's, he's waiting for, for Chris and I to strike it rich. So that way we can write it off as a tax expense. And, and then he doesn't have to pay <laughs> yeah. for it. <laughs> there he's like, no, you'll pay for it. It'll be research. It'll be research. <laughs> uh-huh. Cause he's, uh, his family still lives there. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely on my list. I saw that article when it came out about them. I think it had to do with like la- uh, laser signals or something for that article. Yeah, there's some new mapping technique. I, I don't know what it is, but right. And so like it was it was pretty interesting. It was a way above my head as far as trying to understand the technology. I just yeah. I don't necessarily have to understand why a gun works. I don't need to know how a combustion engine works. I just know that they do. So this is one yeah. of those ones where I just hit the I believe button. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Any anything else that that you're excited by before before I ask uh, Chris to to drool over Elon Musk again? No, I want to hear what you guys are interested in. <laughs> so yeah, Elon Musk. I don't know if it's if it's common knowledge, but it seems to be he is quite worried that AI research will eventually lead to an immortal dictator. Uh, right, <laughs> oh, and this guy, this guy, along with the 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 late Stephen Hawking's predicted that if we continue on this path, eventually we're going to reach something called the singularity where an AI not only becomes self-aware, you know, understanding that it actually exists, but considers itself alive and then considers what it can do to remain alive and who's its biggest threat except human beings. So it'll either destroy us or use us to further protect itself and propagate, uh, I, I cannot find a lot of fault with with his ideas, you know. Just like in, yeah, just like well, in the Jurassic terrifying. Park movie, you can set up precautions, but but nature, if you even if you create artificial right. nature, will find a way. So that that was my story. That was on space.com. Yes. yes, it will. I love that website. Yeah, I, I browse there all the time. So do you? Uh, do you have any thoughts on Elon Musk? Are you a fanboy too? I'm a big fan of what Elon Musk is doing. Um, I, you know, I, it's hard to find fault with his theory since I, I can't prove one way or another whether he's right about the singularity or AI or um, any of the stuff. Like we live in virtual, in like a, a robot's dream, basically. <laughs> right. You know, all the other stuff that he said. Uh, I mean, he's he's right. Like it's possible. It's scary, and I think it's something we should be aware of, especially if we're uh, the more and more research we do in AI, the less and less we understand about how it really works. I feel like. Um, we're just like setting up systems and saying go. And one day we're going to set up a system and say go, mm-hmm. and it's going to turn on you. 
Okay. So uh, do you follow Elon Musk as well then? or Speaking of Elon Musk, did you know that they're building another Hyperloop test track now? I don't even know what that is. The Hyperloop? Really? Yeah. So he, he basically, uh, I, I forget how long ago it was. It was a couple of years now. He came up with this idea of a train that moves through a tube and it's like suspended in the tube so there's no friction. I think it's like maglev tubes basically oh, um, right. at high speed so that these trains would go between, I think his original idea was San Francisco to LA in 30 minutes. Uh, so once he released this idea, then he like open sourced the, the plans. He was like, Hey world, I don't have enough time to do this because I'm running three companies. So here's the idea. And he gave it to people. And then they ran a contest based on the idea and several companies were formed. So like the cool thing about the Hyperloop is that Elon doesn't own the idea anymore because he released it to the world like you can go find the plans um and his like theories on it the white paper basically and then several other companies were formed so there's um, a test track they're building in texas uh, and i think elon's hyperloop uh they're just building what did he say in like the uh, nevada desert or something like that i forget what the article said but they're basically finding uh empty parts of the u.s where they can build these giant test tracks to see if they can build one of these things um <laughs> And also Elon has built uh, like a tunnel in LA where you like drive a car in and it lowers the car in an elevator and then you go in the tunnel outside of LA. Wow. So I actually used that concept um, for the for the maglevs I inserted in my Sleeping Legion series. Nice. Um, starting from, I think, was it book two we mentioned them? But yeah, I actually was fascinated by that. Basically, it's like, Chris, it's like it, it magnet, like magnets hold it up and it works in a closed tube. And so it's like a bullet shooting down a track. And it actually, the only limitation is the human body. Because if you're putting cargo in it, <laughs> it's capable of going way faster than the human body can take. But obviously, yeah. if you put it at its highest speeds with a human in there, like they're going to be jelly at the end. <laughs> like literally. Not yeah. not like metaphysically. Like literally, they would be they would be crushed by the pressure wow yeah 20 years ago this idea would have been science fiction right like the fact that we could have a high-speed rail connecting every major city in the u.s science fiction that's that's something that like william gibson would have wrote in a cyberpunk book or uh, right. it would have been in like a dystopian novel or something and actually i think arthur c clark used this this idea in um in one of his books that i read recently as well i forget which one but uh, anyways this used to be sci-fi and now it's reality they're actually building these things so the um, um, when the trains came out, eh, 1800s, when they became more common, when the, the Iron Horse, whatever, late, early 1900s, they actually thought at one point in time that the human body couldn't go on a train because it was going 40 miles an hour. Right. right. And your blood so, would stop so, circulating. Right. So I wonder if we're going to find out 20 years from now or 100 years from now, they're laughing at us. They're like, oh, they thought the human body couldn't go at that speed. <laughs> What's a thousand kilometers an hour? Come on. Wow. So I, I, I'm cu I'm curious to see you know when they actually obviously they they haven't really tested it it's all been theoretical <laughs> until recently I mean they've had yep, some right. test tracks but but they were not built to scale so now that they've got it to scale and they have the technology they use it a lot for um, like pressure testing in the military because I've seen them where they'll have like these gel forms mm. that are full of sensors like basically mm. test dummies and so they could actually put a human analog test dummy in there and get enough readings and they'll be able to know like what yeah. it would do to the human body. So they'll be able to definitively answer it. It's amazing. This Which like, would be nice before you're the first one in it and be like, oops. It sounds like yeah, right? of people out of a real gun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not that far from, from how they work. I mean, 
Yeah, they're basically just giant rail guns. Wow. <laughs> so it'll be it'll be curious about max speed, and then that's you know opens a whole new realm for terrorism. It's like, yeah, give us all of whatever our demands are, or we'll turn it up faster. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of scary. Uh, but imagine, I mean, like the thing about the U.S. right now is that it's so much land. Like I live in Austin, Texas, and. It's four hours from Austin to Dallas, and you're still in the frickin' state of Texas. Right. So just being able to connect the major cities and to move around easier would change the economy. It would change the U.S. dramatically. Yeah, definitely it would. So remember, I'm trying to think of it. There was a movie back in the day that like it was set on a bus, and like the whole point was if you stop or you slow down, we'll like blow it up, and it was like a, they were basically holding them hostage. I want to say Sandra Bullock was in it. I'm um, drawing a blank. No, you guys got nothing Speed? for me. I got nothing. No, Speed, was that Speed? it? Yeah, I think I think that might have been it. Um, yeah, with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, that's it. It's Speed. But so anyway, you could basically recreate that in real life once you get these bullet trains if someone wanted to. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, it's San Francisco to LA in 30 minutes, so it won't last that long. <laughs> Definitely not the length of a movie. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the length of a single episode of a miniseries. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Unless the the rest of the movie was just them cleaning up the blood and gore. And <laughs> right. So, That's speaking cool. of, uh, go ahead, Chris. I was going to ask, what do you follow on JR? So uh, NASA just launched the TESS satellite, T-E-S-S, uh, which is um, basically replacing the Hubble telescope um, as far as its mission. So it's basically to bravely seek out new alien worlds so we can eat them. Um, but it was launched. It was launched recently, and everything went according to plan. Uh, this is from the article on space.com, and uh, from the article, the tests will hunt for alien worlds around stars in the sun's neighborhood, planets that other missions can then study in detail. And the spacecraft will be incredibly prolific if all goes according to plan. Basically, they're hunting AET. This is my interpretation for it. Uh, they're basically hunting for ET, and I'm ready to meet their their uh, alien leaders. I want to be the one that says, mm. "Take me to your leader." <laughs> I mean, that would be kind of cool. And so there is the space.com article about it. And then just to give you a second source, because it was kind of cool, I found it. Uh, there's an MSN uh, article about it as well on their tech section. And we'll link those both in the show notes, which I just thought it was super cool because, you know, ET might finally phone home or us, one of the two. ET might use you as a phone. I mean, this is this is true. Although I, I hadn't thought of it that way, that's very meta of you. Thank you. <laughs> so, all right. Well, sleep on that. Well, okay. we've been talking for a lot longer than we thought we would because Chris, in his nerdness, it's all his hmm. fault. Um, so, how can listeners find you, Matt? And obviously, this is all going to be in the show notes. So, yeah. So the best place is to go to mgheron.com. It's M-G-H-E-R-R-O-N.com. And you can find all my books and links to me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, on there. All right. And when was the uh, book three in the trilogy coming out again? So June 1st is when the Aries Initiative comes out. That's the third book in the Translocated And so June 1st. uh, I hope you're prepared to have tons of kids because at some point in the 23rd century, uh, your ancestor (laughs) with your name is going to invent FTL. So you heard it here first, people. (laughs) All right. What about us? Uh, what about building my legacy? That's right. You got to start that legacy now. Tell tell your wife. You just the humanity needs you. But uh, humanity. <laughs> that's that's called romance, people. So uh, what about us? Where can they find our us? Web- our website is www.sfshenanigans.com. and also on the website we have a new swag section. If you want to support the show. 
Our Twitter handle is at SFS, that's Sierra Foxtrot Sierra underscore show. Our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. And now we have a Facebook page. Just look up Sci-Fi Shenanigans. Its official title is Listeners of the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. But if you type in Shenanigans, I think we're actually the only one that pops up. Yeah. (laughs) For now. So, all right, people, you heard it here first. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the... uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.